Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Thank you that in our weakness you're strong. In our weakness, your strength will be perfected, you said. We believe that even while we're in the body, you're able to raise us from the dead while in the body, like Paul said, by virtue of the blood of Christ. So I give you praise today. I thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I do pray for Ayana as she leaves this week to go to Bethel in the choir and sing there on a Sunday service. We thank you, Father, that she'll be a blessing. Thank you that you'll protect and keep her. Thank you in Jesus' name that that church will not suffer from her being there. <laughs> I, had, I just had to add that. Sorry, I just had to add that. I pray that Bill Johnson and the church will be able to withstand her glory. But no, we do bless her. We thank you that you keep her and that indeed she will be a great, great blessing. A great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, is it okay if I read a little bit of the Bible today? I'm going to read some Bible. This is another strange Sunday for me. I don't know why. I don't mean strange, strange, but I had several messages in my heart over and over again. I kept changing, going back and forth. What was I going to do? Lord, where do you want me to go? What am I supposed to speak on? What do you want me to do? And anyhow, so I just thought I'd do this. Turn to 2 Timothy, first of all, the third chapter. And... uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the third chapter, Second Timothy, the third chapter. I read from the Amplified Bible all the time, and I just want to remind us, uh, this is going to be basic Bible school 101. Okay. Second Timothy 3, verse 16. Second Timothy 3, verse 16. I'll see if they get up. There you go. Every, say Every. Every scripture is God-breathed. Now just stop right there. Think about it. Every single verse in our Bibles is God-breathed. We sing that song about it's your breath that's in our lungs. When you have God's word in your mouth, it is the breath of God. When God's word comes out of your mouth towards others, it's the breath of God. When God's word comes out of you in the form of a prayer, it's incredibly powerful because it's like what Isaiah says, we're returning God's word back unto him. And as he said again, it will never return void. But every scripture is God breathed. It's given by his inspiration. And it's profitable for instruction for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action, verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen? But again, right back to the basics. It's First, making the decision that you believe this simple truth here. It's one of the cornerstones, the foundation stones of the Christian faith. It's not just thinking that this is a book. Remember, if this is just a book to you, it will do you no good. If this is even just a holy book to you, it doesn't really do you that much good. It's only when this becomes God speaking to you that it begins to change your life. Because it is. It's God's breath. These words are God's word that have been held perfect, held in actual actual just fullness of government throughout these thousands of years. There's not one word, remember, not one word of God that's ever failed. 
Remember the basis, heaven and earth might pass away, but God's word will never pass away. The word of God came from eternity, hallelujah, and it's what we're going to live by in eternity. So it's a pretty good thing. <laughs> Every scripture of God is God-breathed. Now, if you would, I'd like you to go all the way back to Psalm 94. I'll give you basically what I'm going to talk about. Actually, what I'm going to talk about this morning is just a little basics about why we are to pray. How many, you know, it's the old story. If I ask anybody in this room right now, any given church or conference, how many of you know we need to pray more? Well, every hand will go up because everybody knows that, right? Even if you don't know what prayer is all about, you know you ought to pray. It's about communion with God, isn't it? But from the knowledge of God's Word, it's only the knowledge of God's Word that brings you into any place of stability. It's like Psalm 112, David says, My heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. My heart is fixed. My heart is established. My heart is established. In other words, it's settled. God's Word is settled forever in heaven. And the more I read it, the more God's Word becomes settled in Rod's heart. It's settled. There's no negotiation. You hear me? There's no talk about it. There's no, you know, going to a law court about it. It's settled in heaven. God's word is settled in heaven. It's God's word. And everything in heaven recognizes it as God's word. But it needs to be established in our heart. Or rather, we need to have an established heart. Where my heart is fixed on God. My heart is actually fixed in the truths of God. I've chosen to walk according to the word that God has described for me. I've chosen to live my life according to the scriptures, to do my absolute best just to walk according to what he said. And then, of course, this is only this is the only place that you really begin to derive, therefore, then the benefits that come from knowing the promises of God, particularly, you know, keeping yourself in the New Testament constantly. But in Psalm 94, there's these few verses I want to read. I want to start at verse 12, Psalm 94, verse 12. It says, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man whom you discipline and instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. Right? But I, notice there's a comma because, of course, it leads to the next verse. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man whom you discipline, instruct, O Lord, and teach out of the word, out of the Bible. Verse 13, that you may give him power to keep himself calm in the day of adversity. Any of you ever experienced a day of adversity? Now, no matter how many times we read this or talk about it with one another, it's something you really need to understand. There's only one way that God's designed that you're going to become somebody that has some stability in your life. It's not going to be based... Stability doesn't come by reading the Monday morning headlines in the newspaper, no matter what newspaper you read. It doesn't come from Sky News. It doesn't come from anything. The only thing that's going to give you stability... Remember, you know, I know you know these verses. You know, Hebrews says all things that can be shaken will be shaken, right? 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 <laughs> Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that those things that are unshaken might remain. The only thing that gives you a place of peace, a place in your heart where you absolutely recognize it's okay, and you actually can take a deep breath and go, well, no matter what that said, no matter what they said, Lord, I've read this, and simply this is what you said. So I, I choose life. I choose the scriptures. I choose that which has been breathed from heaven. And I said again, blessed to be envied is the man you discipline and instruct the Lord and teach out of your law, that you may give him power to keep himself calm in the days of adversity until the inevitable pit of corruption is dug for the wicked. And hallelujah, it's being dug right now. There's some giant backhoes out there <laughs> digging giant holes for the wickedness to fall into. Verse 14, for the Lord will not cast off nor spurn his people. Neither will he abandon his heritage for justice will return. To the uncompromisingly righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? And then the psalmist says, "Unless the Lord had been my help, I would have soon I, I would soon have dwelt in the land where there is silence." 
But when I said my foot is slipping, your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, held me up. So in the multitude of my anxious thoughts within me, your comforts cheered and delighted my soul. Hallelujah. You know, the thing that struck me once a while back, I I don't know if I've ever shared this or not. The book of Psalms, I don't know if you reckon in Jesus' time, when Jesus was on the earth, this was his liturgy for prayer. This was Jesus' liturgy for prayer. This is what he prayed. The Psalms is quoted more by Jesus than any other book in the Bible. To me, I just love the fact that I get to read the same thing that Jesus read. And the Psalms is full of prayers and things to pray that Jesus prayed in his own prayer life. I mean, do you find that absolutely written? No, but you know that he did. Of course he did. But anyhow, I just want you to catch that one aspect again, that you might be kept calm in the days of adversity, that in the days of adversity you might find yourself being of a calm and a free spirit, not getting shaken up. Because that's the issue of today. Everybody gets shaken too quick. Shaken and stirred, hallelujah. Now, this is again, like I said, incredibly basic, but I want you to go to um, Philippians 4. And again, I just want to talk a little bit about why, indeed, we want to really become better at being a house of prayer. It is all about communing. It is all about having the revelation again that every word, every word of God is God breathed. This, this, the Bible in the King James says that men wrote Scripture as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompted them. This book is written by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah! I quite like that. I, I was reading a ton of stuff. Like I said, it was tough for me trying to figure out where to go this morning. So don't be angry if I don't do things so perfectly like Angela does or Mike or somebody else. Okay. But let me just go back. Now, let's, let's start in Philippians 4. And I'm going to read right from the first verse. Paul said, Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and yearn to see, my delight and crown, my wreath of victory, thus stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat. I kind of laugh at verse 2. How many of you know sometimes women in churches get into arguments and stuff in there? Nah, 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 nah. Even Paul had to speak to it here. It's supposed to make you guys smile and don't get angry. Ooh, Sheila's giving me a really strong Sheila look. I entreat, I entreat and I advise you, Dia, and I entreat and advise Syntyche to agree and to work in harmony in the Lord, would you? And he said, I exhort you to my genuine yoke fellow. Help these two women. <laughs> Lord, keep me going. Help these two women to keep on cooperating, for they have toiled along with me in the spreading of the good news of the gospel, as have Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I don't, I want, I don't know. Do you think he means that? You know what the word rejoice means in the Greek it, it's a, it means brighten up. It just simply says brighten up and brighten up again. Just trying to see if anybody would brighten up. Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight, gladden yourselves in him. Again, I say rejoice. And let all men know. See, these are instructions for every church. Let all men know and recognize your unselfishness, your considerateness, your forbearing spirit. The Lord is near. He's coming soon. Now, if you have got to catch it. God, it's not funny that Paul says the Lord is near. He's coming soon. You need to keep, you need to be considerate of people. You need to be walking in the graces and the love of God because the Lord is near to coming than you realize. And it evidently is important to God to find people cooperating with one another and not being mean spirited to one another. Verse 6 Do not fret. Everybody say that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I will not fret. I don't know if it means, Mike, does it mean the same thing to a guitar player with frets? Does it? I will not fret. So all the guitar players rip off all the frets off their guitars. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Amen? 
How many of you can say absolutely perfectly I walk according to that verse? I have, I've never, I have no anxiety about anything. Amen? Right? Let me see your non-anxious face. Some of you need prayer. Most definitely, of course. But think about this. Think about uh, this guy, Paul the Apostle, caught up into the heaven, caught up into heaven, saw things that no other man ever saw. God instructs him. Jesus speaks to him face to face, sends him back to earth. And some of the things he says are like this. Guys, basically, if you've seen what I've seen, it's stupid to be anxious about anything. I got to tell you something. I'm not like I joke all the time. I'm not the ancient of days. You know, I'm getting up there almost 44 now, right? Amen. You know, my 34, 33, 34 years is all I've walked with the Lord. But the longer, you, all I know is this the more peace, the more peaceable you become. Stuff doesn't rile you like it used to. You realize I'm not going to waste my energy on being angry. I'm not going to waste my energy living in unforgiveness for sure, because that's the stupidest thing on earth to do. I'm not going to keep binding somebody else's problem to my life. Why should I do that? And you just make the decision. It's like the old saying, I don't mean to be corny, but it's all good. It's okay. I have eternal life. I actually have eternal life. And see, God's word says, lay, lay, hold, lay fast hold. It says, lay hold, lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto ye are called. You gotta lay hold on it. You gotta grasp the revelation. I've got eternity on the inside of me. James says, what is your life? It is but a vapor. It appeareth and it vanisheth away. And I tell you, when you get older and you start thinking about that, you do look back and you realize, my God, 30 years, it's gone. You know, I remember Julie and I, we laugh about it sometimes when we were in our 20s. You know, you met somebody that was 40. 40 was old. You know what I mean? They're 40 years old. Oh, my God. Really, seriously, some of you have not arrived at this place of revelation yet. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, you know, when you're 20 years old, somebody's 40. Man, they're 40. The dude's 40 years old. Then you turn 40, and somebody that's 55, man, they're old. They're, they're, they're older people. They're older. You get to 66, 67, 68, one of those I am. And you suddenly realize, look at those people that are 75, 80 years old. They're old. <laughs> They're old. Because the trip is, I mean, right now, I mean, even like I said, with, even with Julie kicking me in the back and stuff, and the stuff I have to deal with. Second time I lied? Moving right along. <laughs> I do. I love my wife. God, God has blessed me. I'm a blessed man. I really, really am. And I'm not saying that's a suck up. Believe me, I'm not. I'm not. It's just, it's just true. Not only, only Julie could be able to put up with me. You know, people, she tells a joke. People come up sometimes and say, Rod's just so funny or he's so whatever. You must just have so much fun living with him. And she always says, you don't go home with him. But anyhow, you know what it's like. You know what it's like. But the fact is, you suddenly realize the older you get, no matter what. I mean, if you stay in God, you still feel very, 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 very young. Because agree, I don't know how to communicate this. I can't even find the right scriptures to put together. But when you begin to lay hold on eternity, let me tell you something. Compare, I dare you to compare 100 years with eternity. You can't, can you? 100 years. In Revelation, I don't remember the exact scripture. It says in Revelation, if somebody dies at 100 years old, they're considered to be a baby. 
something. I can't remember. There's a verse like that, that they're considered to be a child. But eternity, you see, the thing is, this is why the revelation of it begins to work for you something remarkable. For example, let's say, you know, you do come down with whatever, the flu, or you've got something going on like that. Or you're going to have to go to court for a couple of months. Whatever, I don't know. But whatever it is, you know how you can begin to really be, to say the least, nervous, you're greed, you're frustrated, and you know, you know, we, not like I said, because of my horrible testimony in my own life before Christ, you know, being in different aspects of crime and what have you. When I had a court date, I mean, it's just like going through hell. You know, you come closer and closer and closer and closer to that court date. And you live with this thing hanging over you, you know what I mean? Now, that's a bad example. It's a good example for me, but it's a bad example for you. But the point is, in a similar situation, today, you begin to have the revelation, well, what if, what if, really, what if I had this illness for a whole jive year? What, what is that compared to eternity? Now, you don't misunderstand me. We pray and we believe and we receive and we trust God for our healing right now in the now season. But it's a greater point I'm trying to communicate to you. There's something about knowing I right now have eternity dwelling within me that makes everything else begin to diminish, to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Though the world, you know, like the Bible tells us, the world's economic system is going to fail. That's a fact. That's not theory. It will fail at some point. This is why the revelation of, well, for 30-some years now, I've been sowing, doing the best I could to sow the first fruits of my income toward the kingdom of God. And so whatever happens, I have this sense of safety. It's going to be okay. It really is going to be okay, not because I'm special, but simply because I made the decision some 30 years ago. I've seen this in God's Word. I'm going to do everything I can to sow to the needy, to try to help the poor, and try to live outwardly instead of live inwardly like I did in the world. What makes things better for me? Your whole life becomes shaped and fashioned by God's Word to where you begin to live with the sense of what can I do to be of greater help to others. And that's only when your life begins to take on form and shape. Stuff begins to come together you didn't even have to pray about because you got an alignment with God's way of living. And when you get in alignment with heaven's way of living, good stuff just begins to happen. It's like Deuteronomy. People always quote that verse, I mean, no, Deuteronomy, yeah. I command you this day that you walk in all these commandments, which I command you to do. And if you walk in all these commandments that I command you, then all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, saith the Lord. Right? If you obey all these commandments that I command you this day, then all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, saith the Lord. Let me say it again. If you follow all these commandments, which I command you this day, then all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. But the commandments he was talking about was living before God in such a way that you showed everybody that you lived for God. But now think about it. Today, though, when we preach the truth of the promises, one of the things that happens ever so subtly is people begin to live toward the promises. They, their whole life, I'm, try, I'm just after the promises as opposed to after the commandments. In other words, I just want to walk godly. But they want to chase the promises. Catch it. Now, I'm not saying you don't release faith for the promises, but again, you're, it's a heart thing that has to be in alignment first. Think about it. If you obey all these commandments, what shall I command you this day, then all these blessings shall come upon, overtake. In other words, if you're facing the blessing all the time, you're actually living in reverse. 
You're supposed to be facing the commandments because it says the blessings will come from behind. They'll overtake you like you've been overtaken on a motorway. See, it's not just staring constant. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this. Sometimes, you know, with my own health issue that happened and the stuff that's still trying to work in my body. Sometimes, you know, all I do is I feel like I have to fight it all the time. Now, there's, this is the, there's a subtlety to this because it's not wrong that you fight something, but you have to fight the right fight. And sometimes we don't realize that the best fight you can fight against sickness is to turn around and just ever, you know, just say, God, today I'm going to flipping obey you in about 14,000 different ways. Anything I see to do, anybody that crosses my path, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to give something to somebody. I don't care what anybody thinks. The dude that's just hawking and he's actually probably a, he's probably a liar and a fake sitting outside, you know, hustling money. I'm going to go ahead and get some money anyhow just because that's your way. You're a generous God. So I'm just going to... And you realize that really you're just kicking the devil in the face. And suddenly that stuff begins to back off and God begins to say, check out my boy. And stuff begins to come from behind. And all of a sudden you go, man, I feel good. Man, what, what was, what's, I don't believe it. I just got a check for 10,000 pounds. That's cool. Oh, well, never mind. I don't know how I got all of that out of Philippians 4, 6. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance, say every, in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, Definite request with thanksgiving. Huge place that people miss. You don't just pray and say amen. From that point on, you say thank you. Thank you is the greatest expression of faith there is. Because thank you is like if I walked up to you and handed you whatever, my Bible or handed you 50 pound note or whatever. It's just intrinsic within you. Isn't it? More than likely, if you're any kind of a good person, you'll say thank you. Why? Because you've received it, right? Right? Right. You've received it, so you just automatically say thank you. If you don't have a life of thanksgiving, I would submit to you that God, you're, you're still stuck in second gear somewhere. That heaven isn't really able to respond like it wants to. See, you don't ever misunderstand. Heaven's great goodness is just poured out to you like giant oceans exploding everywhere like that song. That last song we did a couple of weeks ago, Lucy, my, God's heart is exploding over you or whatever. His heart is exploding over you with love. I mean, God's just coming like an ocean. But there's stuff that blocks stuff from hitting us. And again, if you can just catch this, though, when you, it's Thanksgiving that actually says, I actually believe I have it. I put it in my pocket. Thank you. But if you walk away going, God, this thing is heavy. I need to find 14 more people to pray for me. At some point, you have to come to the place to whether or not you actually believe God heard you. Oh, Dr. Oh, Dad, Dad P.C. Nelson. Brother Hagen used to teach about Brother uh, P.C. Nelson, who died, I think, 1947 or something. He was considered the greatest Greek and ancient Greek scholar of the 20th century and the 19th century. And he talked about how God really spoke. But he, he one day at a big minister's meeting, they had, a, you know, pastors. It was just full of pastors, something like, I think he said, 800 ministers were in the room. And uh, the guy that was the MC, the general moderator of the, of the I think it was Old Assembly of God thing, well, they said, you know, there's a gentleman, one of our pastor friends is very, very ill, very sick. Uh, and we just, we need to pray for him. Uh, Dr. Nelson, would you mind coming up? And so P.C. Nelson walks up and he says, Father, he just prays a simple prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your word declares Jesus himself took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. It says in 1 Peter 2 and 24, who his own self bore our sin on the tree, that we being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we lift our brother to you. We thank you for his healing. We believe we receive it as a done thing now. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Okay? And they said he started walking off the stage and he stopped just before he got to the end of the stage. And he said, how many of you are going to keep on praying for Pastor so-and-so? And everybody lifted their hand. And he said, why? Brother Hagin said it was one of the greatest lessons on faith that they had ever heard, and he didn't know if they heard it or not. See, at some point, for me too, to believe is a big deal. If you believe, you don't keep praying for the same thing. Now, you can pray differently, but if you believe, the greatest part of your prayer life is going to be thanksgiving. You're still coming before God. Remember, prayer isn't just petition. It's not just always asking. Most of prayer is supposed to be worshiping. Most of prayer is supposed to be saying thank you for who you are. And breathing this breath of God out over people. Praying God's word over situations knowing that it will never fail. And it's something that's so simple. But still we, 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 we fight with this all the time. But yet it's the crucial, it's the crucial point between having abundant life and having mediocrity in your life. And I want my people delivered from mediocrity. God is not looking for us to have a mediocre Christian life. He wants you and I walking in the very fullness of everything that's been paid, the price that's been paid, what is purchased. And again, like I could go into Bible school mode right now and preach for the next teach for the next fifteen hours in that. Don't fret. That's a, this is a command of the Lord. Don't fret. So if you're guilty of fretting, confess it. <laughs> Seriously. Don't fret or have any anxiety. Now think about Paul being able to say this. Again, like I said, he would, he'd seen heaven. But heaven can be seen by you by just spending time in the Word. And then by lifting your heart to God on a consistent basis. You know, one of the verses I wanted to read, I'm just going to go ahead and quote about prayer. Is Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine? Actually, can you put that up, John? Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine, very well known verse. I'll just read it once he gets it up there. When God talks about what His Word is like, oh, let's see. John's back there sleeping, so we're waiting. It's okay, John. Now listen to what this is. What God says through Jeremiah is not my word. My word, right? God's word. So everybody say God's word. Is not my word like a fire that consumes all that cannot endure the test, says the Lord? But this is the one I wanted you to see. And like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. Right? God's word, God said, God said, God said his word is like a hammer. Uh, I was wishing, I was trying to see if I could find a clip. I don't know, you know, I'm a guy, I watch guy movies. An old Clint Eastwood violent film, a little bit of violence in it, but that's okay. Julie, pardon me when I watch them. But Pale Rider, this old Western. Don't know if you ever, any, any of you remember Pale Rider. Probably women don't. But there's this one scene, these guys are, go, are trying to mine for gold. And this one boulder is about, it's huge. I mean, it's giant. And this old boy is going, bam, sledgehammer, you know. Bam! Then the whole thing is him doing it. Then Clint Eastwood joins him. Bam! 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 A hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. This is the issue. This is a picture, the simplest of pictures, but you've got to see it. Suddenly, bam! That whole rock disintegrates. Which strike of the hammer did it? Which strike did it? Yeah, all of them. The thing is, what we don't understand is, we don't know how hard this stronghold may be that the devil's put in there. We don't know why or how it got as strong as it did. But one thing I've learned is that God's word is like a hammer. If I'll quit, quit, if I'll just keep swinging that thing, now it may not happen in the first one. 
hurt my knuckles. Seriously, but I don't want you to miss this. See, you faint if it doesn't break in the first try. Or the second try. Or the third try. But the thing is about God, this hammer as you grow up gets bigger. You may start with some little bitty old ball peen hammer. Dink! Dink! And your stronghold may be that big. And you're going, dink, dink, little old hammer. Then after a while, you'll get a, what they call, used to call a single jack, four-pound sledge. My dad, growing up in the construction, little four-pound sledge, just big, kabam, kabam. And then as you keep swinging that sucker, you get stronger and stronger, and you start all of a sudden moving to a 12-pound sledge. I got to tell you, I thought I was strong. I, I you know, I'm, I wasn't always like this, this incredible <laughs> specimen of manliness and manhood here. But you know, I played ball, I wrestled, did all this stuff, always in the gym and stuff. And like I said, I had tons of muscle. My muscle has now gone to something that's slower. It's wavy. But the point is, I mean, you know, I was, I was strong. I mean, I worked in this big old flipping uh, refinery, oil refinery. And I mean, we were carrying, they, they would send me to carry these big valves. They'd have five valves on a pipe this big. I mean, it's like 175 pounds. You put it on your shoulder and you have to run with it. Then you have to climb 200 feet up a ladder, up into these fractionators, these things. And I mean, I do that all the time. I do that all day. <laughs> you know, I was, I had some strength about me. I got, but I, it was the funniest thing. When it came to using a sledgehammer, there was, I forget, I don't even remember what it was. It was some old concrete base, concrete thing that had been uh, poured, that had been done wrong, and they wanted us to go break it up. This was before everybody had jackhammers. I mean, I am that young. But I was out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm pretty strong, and I start swinging this 12-pound sledge. And I mean, you swing a 12-pound sledge, you know, for, I dare, you know, I, you'd swing it for a minute and you feel it. But there were these guys out there. This is when I was 23 years old. I'm swinging this thing, kabam, kabam. But there were these two old men that were like 68 years old. I'd have to stop and take a breath every 90 seconds. These boys just kept swinging, bam, bam. I mean, 10 minutes later, bam. They never would stop. And this other young guy, we played football. We were working there in the summer with them. We looked at the other and go, my God, man, what these guys, but they'd been doing it all their life. I just want you to catch this about our prayer life. Don't faint in your mind, because that's where the Bible says you faint. You faint in your mind. In other words, you try to figure it out. God's word is like a hammer. It will break in pieces the rock of most bone-like resistance. That's the truth. I said, that's the truth. But will God's people keep swinging it? And the way you swing this hammer is by the words of your mouth. Will the word of God keep coming out of your mouth over that situation of yours that feels like it's solid rock. If you could just get that picture of these guys, even in that film, bam, 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 and suddenly the thing breaks, splits wide open, and they find gold. That was there all the time. It was just waiting, but you had to keep swinging. You guys asleep? Don't fret or have any anxiety about anything. Back to Philippians 4, 6. But in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite request with thanksgiving, continue. Does continue sound like the same thing that I was just talking about? The rock, God's word is like a rock, but you got to keep swinging it. Continue. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite request, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants 
known to God. And you know what will happen? Next verse. And God's peace. Hallelujah. Somebody please say praise the Lord. Say something. Just act, just act like you're still alive, saved, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. You keep swinging that long enough and God's peace shall be yours. And I've told you a thousand times in this church. It's the peace of God that gives you direction. It's a revelation of what peace is and what peace isn't. That's how God leads his people. All of God's paths are peace. And the only way you get to that is by sticking in this Bible, staying as a man or woman of prayer. And God's peace shall be yours. I love the Amplified. That, listen to it, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Lord told me last night that there's a lot of people, even in here right now, that when the truth, if, if the rubber hits the road, some of you are still unsure, even that, about whether or not you're saved. Because you still do stupid stuff. Let, let me just keep reading. That God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Assured. And this next part to me is crucial. And so fearing nothing from God. This is when you realize you begin to mature in Christ. Fearing nothing from God. Can you actually say that you've arrived at the place where you fear nothing from God? You come to the revelation, my God is actually love. My God actually does love me. I may mess up a thousand times, but he will not fall off his throne. He's ready always to forgive. He'll take my sins, cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. I have a redeemer. I have somebody I can run to when I do sin. I go and I simply confess it. And he's faithful. He's faithful to forgive me. Hallelujah. And so fearing nothing from God and being content. See, there's so much teaching. Learning the power of contentment. First Timothy 6, 6, it says, he talks about that, you know, this contentment, Paul said that he has this contentment, the power of contentment, being content, not satisfied. Satisfaction is a soulish thing. Contentment is a spiritual force. You learn that you, you have this peace that comes in you. I am born again. I'm born again. I actually am born again. Nobody else is, but I am. No, but I'm born again. I have eternal life residing in me right now. Stuff may be going screwy in places in my life, but my lowest common denominator, the foundation that I live by, is I always come back to this truth that my Christ has redeemed me. I have confessed him. I believe in my heart. I still make mistakes, but he's so wonderful that I can run to him with every mistake I have. And he just says, put it behind you. Now get up and go again. I get to play till I win. In Christ's eyes, I've already won. But he knows down here we are but dust. He knows how frail we are. He knows we make mistakes. That's why, again, I think I said last week, I love the verse in Romans. Where God says he's gathered us all up in unbelief already just so he could have mercy upon us. In other words, he already knew we we're going to make 115,000 mistakes. So because of that, I'm going to be something called merciful. Hallelujah. So however many mistakes you make, mercy is available. But like Jonah says, don't forsake your mercies by lying vanities, by living according to the lying. In other words, don't quit getting caught up in junk. Don't forsake the mercy that's there. Receive it. Say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you. It's a tough thing. This is why you have to learn how to walk by faith. Believe me, when you do screw up, I know nobody in this church has ever screwed up since they've been saved, ever. Every one of you are perfect. Perfect. I can look at the faces right now. I have the word of knowledge at work, and I have discerning the spirits at work. Let me look on these faces. I see after... Uh-oh. You know, merciful. You just you just keep moving. Let me finish reading. And God's peace. If you'll quit fretting, if you'll just come to God in prayer, and you'll be a person of thanksgiving, God's peace shall be yours. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And that means you stop fearing something from God. God's going to hit you with a sledgehammer. He's going to burn you like a piece of bacon. You are going to hell. You've got to, you got to get rid of that. 
If you've confessed and you've made the actual decision to confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, then you are saved. He will not cast off anybody who's come to him from their heart. And so being content with its earthly lot of whatever that sort is, that peace which transcends all understanding, and it is a trip, when you've blown it, and you just and you know you feel the devil wants to condemn you. Condemnation comes from the devil, and the devil is condemning you. You dog you, you stinking dirty ugly dog you. I mean, you were the dog of dogs. I mean, you're just man. But you go to God's Father, forgive me. And He's yelling all the time, dog, dog, you're a dog, you're an ugly, bad dog, dirty, ugly, dirty, dirty, ugly. How can you? But God's saying, thank you. You're my son. You're the beloved of my life. You are the apple of my eye. And you have to make a choice, like in every situation, whose voice you're going to listen to. The voice of the condemnation or the voice of the mercy. And so being content with its earthly lot, whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard. There are interesting words there in the Greek. It speaks literally about creating a bulwark or creating a fortress or a fort round about your mind. That peace, once the revelation peace comes, it becomes like a stronghold in the positive sense. I've got peace with God. Yeah, but we saw you miss it yesterday. Yeah, but you didn't see me bow my knees yesterday either after I missed it. This is why it's so tough. Don't. You got to be so careful when you judge people, when you see them screw up. Because you have no idea five minutes later they drop to their knees. They drop to their knees and say, Father, I messed up again. Forgive me. God's faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. But now if you go and you see them 15 minutes later and you're thinking and you're looking to them through what you saw them do, who's in error? Who's actually, quote unquote, like in sin there? It's the person that's judging. Judge not lest you be judged. This is why you don't. If you see somebody messes up, the Bible says, ask and God will grant them life. It's an amazing thing. One of my favorite things I used to teach in the Bible school is from that verse. It's incredible. It says, if you see someone sin, a sin that's not, I shouldn't do this because it gets complicated, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to give you the headline and let somebody else explain it two years from now. If you see someone sin, a sin that's not unto death, he said, pray and grant, pray that you might, pray the, pray the Lord and he will grant them life. When you study that out, you find out this, that actually, this is, this is tough. This is where you have to, well, it's not tough, it's wonderful. But I don't have time to go through this derivative in Greek and what have you. You can get somebody else's forgiveness for them. Ask and God will grant them life. You can, and isn't that a better way to live? Like if I see somebody, if I see Napier get angry because he's so fed up because the Arsenal keeps losing, right? He just, you know, I was praying for him today. I saw Arsenal lost again, and I just pictured Napier being at home going, God's a right, you know, and I thought to myself, Lord, whatever sin he's in right now because of Arsenal losing once again, I pray that you might grant him life. Yeah, that's comical. But think about it. You think about it. Which is better? Looking at somebody going, man, look what you look what they did. Or saying, Father, forgive them. Isn't that what, you know, Stephen did, you know, on when he was being stoned to death. He's being stoned to death. And he looks at him and says, Father, forgive them. Same thing Jesus said. They don't know what they're really doing. They're ignorant of the way to live. Forgive them. I wonder if God actually forgave them that act. I would say, yeah. I would say, yeah. Anyhow, I can see I'm putting you to sleep, so I'll stop. And that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds. The King James says, over your mind. Verse 8, for the rest, brethren, and of course, here's that familiar verse, whatever is true, whatever is true, so lies don't work. Whatever's true, whatever's worthy of reverence, whatever is, is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever's pure, 
whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if if there is any virtue and excellence, if if there's anything worthy of praise, think on, weigh and take account of those things. Fix your minds on them. Right? Right? Fix your minds on that stuff. Don't think ugly thoughts. Practice, verse 9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Model your way of living on it. And the God of peace, of untroubled, undisturbed well-being will be with you. That's a good promise. I'm done. Everybody say, thank God. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We want to be, we don't want to be a man talented or man-enabled church. We want to be a spirit-empowered church. And that only comes, Father, from being men and women of prayer. We thank you, Father, for the revelation of your word living deep within us. We thank you, Father, that the scriptures, it says, cannot be broken. The scriptures can never be broken. And therefore, we thank you that today your word is like a hammer. Hallelujah. That will break in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. So whatever it may be in our life, Father that is stubborn, that's resisting our forward motion. We thank you, Father, that you're true to your word, that we can take your promises. We can take your word and put it in our heart and in our mouth, and we can start swinging it like the hammer that it is. And we can keep speaking to this mountain. We can keep speaking to mountains. We can speak to mountains. That's your way, according to Scripture. That's what Jesus himself told us we were to do. Don't talk about the mountain, but speak to it. And believe in your heart that what you say in your mouth will come to pass. So, Father, help us to actually believe and to live like this word is true. In the name of Jesus, Father, because it is... And because, Father, we thank you. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.